0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Statistically, Native American students fare worse in the classroom when compared to their peers. One possible reason is a higher instance of trauma. Many educators are looking at a different approach to recognize the effects of trauma to try and improve the success rate of students. It includes reworking traditional discipline to reduce suspension and expulsions. We'll explore trauma-informed education right after the news.
1: is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Last week, the U.S. District Court for the District of Alaska granted the Alaska Federation of Natives motion to intervene in U.S. versus Alaska, the latest case challenging Katie John. AFN President Julie Kitka said, quote, This is a welcomed ruling. AFN has a special place in this litigation dating all the way back to the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act and Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act and culminating most recently in sturgeon. We'll defend the legal rights of Alaska Natives to engage in subsistence hunting and fishing any time our ways of life are threatened, end quote. According to AFN, U.S. versus Alaska began in 2021 when the state of Alaska refused to honor U.S. Fish and Wildlife subsistence management decisions on the Kuskokwim River. AFN goes on to say it increased rapidly in 2022 when the state again refused to abide by federal closures regarding salmon fishing along certain parts of the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. In a statement, AFN co-chair Anna Hoffman said, quote, this federal protection for rural Alaskans secured by Alaska Native leaders decades ago is the source of our nourishment physically, emotionally, culturally, and spiritually. This is our way of life. It is our existence. End quote. AFN predicts that U.S. versus Alaska will make its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Last week, you heard about the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe's efforts to recover an endangered fish by modifying a 100-year-old diversion dam. The Mountain West News Borough's Caleb Bradle has more on why the tribe's fish passage project is more urgent than ever.
2: Shiva Sundaresan is deputy director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and attended the project's groundbreaking. He says dams aren't the only obstacles fish populations like kweewe and Lahontan cutthroat trout have to overcome
0: as climate changes in places we're seeing, uh, changes in snowpack, changes in the timing of when you have snow melt, changing water temperatures, all of that is definitely uh,
2: affecting fish populations, fish habitat. He says that's why the Fish Passage Project at Numana Dam is one of dozens nationwide receiving federal funding.
0: The more I think we can restore these ecosystems, allow fish to migrate up and down the streams, have habitat where they can find refuge when you know, water temperatures
2: rise, the better we will be at, at, at protecting and restoring, conserving these fish populations. At the Pyramid Lake Paiute Reservation, the underwater ramp will allow up to 600,000 kwiwi to swim over the diversion dam to new spawning grounds. Lisa Hakey is a Reno-based project leader with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service.
3: Historically, they move in large numbers at the same time and they back up behind this current design. Now with this uh, gradient con- structure downstream, it's designed specifically for Kuiwi swimming capacity and
2: speed. She says when river flows go down this fall, construction of the ramp will speed up. The tribe is putting the project out for a construction bid and a third party contractor will build it. Tribal Chairman Phoenix says the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe is excited to finally see shovels break ground on a decades-long effort to recover their native fish. It's historical, it's big for us, and it's part of our existence. You know, it signifies us as uh, Enumu people here at the Pyramid Lake Pire Tribe. He adds he's looking forward to the day when the Kuiwi population is big enough for tribal members to catch, filet, and eat them once again. For National Native News, I'm Caleb Radel. I'm Jill Freitas.
4: Support by the Indian Nation Conservation Alliance's three-day conference in Las Vegas starting October 24th. Ranchers, farmers, and conservationists will discuss achieving a sustainable future. Info at inca-tcd.org.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. Students have a harder time achieving success in school if they're confronting depression, grief, or instability at home. Education experts are among those now looking at what's called trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive education as one approach to improve student outcomes, particularly for Native students who have a much lower graduation rate than the general population. Trauma-informed methods are already incorporated in Indian Health Service practices. Research compiled in 2016 for the Federal Department of Health and Human Services documents a number of disparities for Native Americans that suggest a need for the trauma-informed approach. Those include higher rates of substance abuse, suicide, and violence. Today we'll hear more about what this practice means for students and teachers. We'd like to hear your thoughts too. Give us a call at one 800 996-2848. 996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Albuquerque, New Mexico is Tasha Zentek. She is the National Indian Education Association Board President, and she's citizen Potawatomi. Hi, Tasha. Thanks for joining us today.
5: Bonjour, Manawaben. Great to be here.
0: In Gresham, Oregon, we have Jalene Joseph. She's the executive director of the Native Wellness Institute, and she is A'ani. Welcome back to NAC, Jalene.
6: Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Good morning, everyone.
0: And from Grand Ron, Oregon, is Star Weatherall. She's the education coordinator for the Grand Ron Head Start Preschool. She's Klamath and enrolled in the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ron. Hi, Star. Welcome.
3: Good morning.
0: Well, again, thank you all for joining us. And Tasia, I want to go ahead and start with you today. I know that NIEA is holding its annual conference in Albuquerque this week, and it includes sessions on trauma-informed education. Is this a strategy that's now practiced in in many Native schools?
5: Yes, it has been a focus for many Native and uh, Native-serving schools, and it's certainly something that we would like to promote as at NIEA. As part of a solution to um, to, stu- to traumatized uh, students and children.
0: And what's the research that backs up the need for trauma informed education?
5: Absolutely. So, uh, traumatized children uh, experience changes in their brain structure and uh, their neuro- neurochemistry, and that that not only impairs their cognitive development, but also their academic success. And if they've got prolonged childhood trauma or what we call adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, a child's body can produce an overload of stress hormones that affects their decision making, how they learn, how they respond to stress, not just as a child, but for the rest of their lives. Um, Unfortunately, we see the results of that kind of trauma in that our Native students are held back more frequently than their non-Native peers. Um, They tend to score lower on standardized tests compared to the national average, graduate from high school at a rate from 53% 53 to 57% compared to the national average of 81%. And then we know that only 39% of Native students enroll in a four-year school after they graduate. So, um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, unfortunate and negative impacts of that trauma for a student, but trauma-informed education can offer some potential solutions to address those issues.
0: Now, Tasha, what types of traumas are, are we talking about today? It seems like they can come in and manifest themselves in many different ways.
5: Absolutely. So, um, you can think about things that students might experience, um, such as domestic violence in the home, perhaps drug abuse um, from someone in their family, or maybe they've, they've seen or experienced that themselves, could be uh, sexual uh, a trauma of some kind. And then also for our native students, it's not just what has maybe happened to them directly in their lifetime, there's also the impact of historical trauma from um, you know, what has happened to our ancestors, um, that there's, that, you know, we believe in that gener- generational trauma and that is also something that our Native students carry.
0: All right. And um, is there research or anything to promote the effectiveness of informed trauma training in the classroom or in schools?
5: Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, we know that, particularly when we're thinking about Native American students, that uh, a trauma-sensitive system, you know, allows us to leverage the healing value of traditional cultural connections. Um, and so, what that does is not only for those Native students, helping them, um, helping them with problem-solving, stress management, um, be open to learning, but it's also good for all other students too. So, um, this is sort of a, uh, a, a wave within the last about decade. Um, so there are a lot of uh, studies and schools who are relatively new to this type of learning. So I expect that there'll be more research um, in, the next, you know, in the next decade or so showing the long-term effects of it. But we know at least for now um, you know, that, that it is something that makes our students feel, feel seen and is addressing them as a, as a whole child.
0: And Tasia, how does this trauma-informed education, what does it look like in the classroom? Say there is a student that has, uh, there's a DV problem in the home or there's drug abuse in the home. And then how does that actually get addressed in a classroom setting through trauma-informed education?
5: Absolutely. So, um, you know, first and foremost, it's the educator working to develop a meaningful relationship with each individual student. And native or non, this is an important step to you know, understand them as, you know, as their own person with their own, you know, possible traumas or cultures and connections. And then beyond that, thinking about, um, thinking about creating and fostering a safe environment, um, focusing on uh, the outside community, whether that's through land-based learning, um, whether that's through inviting community elders or parents. Um, into the classroom, also really making uh, culture whatever whatever the students' uh, specific culture is, making sure that that's a part of what the education, uh, part of what the classroom includes. Um, Some no, I... specific method? Oh, sure.
0: No, go ahead. Continue. That's a sp- specific method.
5: Yeah, sure. A specific method that can be helpful, for example, is you know a student who's experienced trauma may be may be um, quieter than their peers or reluctant to speak. And so allowing for silent conversations perhaps, um, whether that's through a journal or um, you know, drawing or some other kind of, of, of way to communicate that respects that that student may not, um, may not speak or communicate in the way of their peers. That's another, another way of uh, addressing um, students who have experienced trauma.
0: So a student that might be quieter or or maybe a a little bit uh, distant in a classroom. So I can hear critics, though, Tasia, and they might be thinking to themselves, well, doesn't this require teachers to be therapists for students? So what types of training or boundaries need to be in place to make sure teachers really understand what this trauma is all about and how to implement this type of education in their teaching?
5: Absolutely. So I think that the very first thing is, you know, teachers are asked already to be so many things in a classroom and for students. And, you know, it's impossible to be everything to everyone, but if our educators can recognize trauma in their students, then they could rely on other resources um, to help address it. So that could be um, inviting, um, you know, social services or mental health support into the classroom um, to help, or perhaps relying on, um, tribal services within the community um, that they, that they happen to come from. But it starts with being able to recognize what's going on and then, you know, understanding what resources are out there and doing what they can as a teacher, but also drawing on those other support systems.
0: All right. So it sounds like at some point then therapists or other types of behavioral behavioral health specialists do come into the picture and are involved in the process then, right?
7: Mm -hmm.
5: Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there, there's a, there's a point to where, you know, a teacher cannot, um, cannot provide, you know, mental, mental health support, but they can recognize when a student needs that or when they need a different approach to learning.
0: Now, can some of these trauma-informed perspectives, can they be applied with regard to classroom discipline as well?
5: Yes, absolutely. So if you, if, if, If an educator is able to recognize that a student um, is exhibiting uh, symptoms that potentially could be tied to trauma, then, um, you know, certain types of discipline, uh, Western types of discipline could be really, really harmful to that student. So, you know, it could be that the student does not respond well to maybe, uh, you know, uh, certainly not yelling if that's something they've experienced in their classroom or even the isolation or being brought to, you know, an authority figure that they don't know. So really, really, I think that I think an important aspect is drawing upon the specific community and culture that a student comes from. So if there, if there are uh, systems or processes for discipline that a community or culture already has, drawing from that and understanding that could be a really positive way of helping that student feel safe and. Um, you know, able to express themselves and hopefully address that behavioral issue, issue long-term.
0: Taysha, thanks for getting our conversation started today. We are going to take a short break and Taysha Zentek, National Indian Education Association board president. And I, I do want to inform our listeners now that the NIEA, National Indian Education Association, is an underwriter for Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, Native America Calling's parent company. Listeners, I encourage you to call in if you have questions about trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive education, what that means, what that might look like in the classroom, whether or not it might be a good fit for your Native student or the school that your child attends. We sure would like to get your input, your questions, your insights. Our phone lines are open right now, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also reach out on our social media channels, Facebook and Instagram. We are always, always available for comment there. And we've been getting a lot of really good engagement through our social media channels. So let's keep it going, listeners. Let's continue to engage that way as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more conversation with Taysha and our other guests. Acclaimed filmmaker Ken Burns' new PBS series explores the history of the American buffalo. He works with Native American producers to help tell the story of the buffalo's sacred relationship with Native people. We'll hear from Burns and others both behind and in front of the camera on the next Native America Calling.
4: Education sovereignty. It begins with us. That's the theme of the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show to be held in Albuquerque October 18th through the 21st. You have an important role to play in the ongoing effort to reclaim education sovereignty. The agenda includes an educator day, a student day, professional learning opportunities, and the NIEA awards ceremony. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about trauma-informed education today. Would a different approach in the classroom make a difference for your student? Would it have helped you or someone you know? Join the conversation at 1-800-996-2848. Once again, our number 1-800-996-2848, and our phone lines are open. We're waiting for your call. Our next guest, Jalene Joseph, is up in Gresham, Oregon. She's the executive director of the Native Wellness Institute. Jalene, thanks again for joining us. And tell us more. How does your organization introduce young people to trauma-informed solutions?
6: Okay, great. I'm I'm so happy to be here. I love talking about this topic. Um, We always like to make sure that everyone is on the same page in terms of understanding you know, concepts and terms and, and what we're talking about. And so, um, we we call it being trauma and healing informed um, because we always say where there has been trauma, healing is the answer. And sometimes we, um, you know, just talk about the trauma, but we don't talk about the healing piece. And so, when we talk about the healing piece, that, that it's the answer, but it also helps to bring that balance, right, and making it okay to talk about trauma because we're also gonna talk about the healing. So when we introduce this to um, the young people that we work with, like middle school and high school as an example, because of course, talking to you know, kindergartners or elementary is gonna be a little bit different, but we wanna make sure that people understand that what it means to be trauma and healing informed is that we have you know a good understanding of trauma and how it impacts our behavior and then we have a good understanding of trauma and behavior and that we seek not to re-traumatize people. And then we have a understanding of the difference between what's wrong with you versus what happened to you. And then we also have an understanding of um, what we call like neurotrauma, trauma. So things like um, being on the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder as an example, um, or other trauma that happens you know, to our brains, like we understand that and how that impacts our behavior. And then that we understand that, you know, healing is the answer to trauma. And so, you know, providing opportunities for healing, things like that. And then just really figuring out and learning how to integrate healing into our lives, into, into our schools, into our homes, into our communities and things like that. And then just continuing to learn more about trauma.
0: Angeline, what is the response from, from young people, from students uh, that receive this approach? Are they receptive? Do they like it?
6: Yeah, most definitely because, you know, um, just because of the earlier conversations that happened on the show, like so many of our young people experience trauma, right? But not often do they get the opportunities to even talk about it, right? Or to like actively engage in healing around it. And so they are open to it. Um, and this is why we continually keep it into the work that we do, whether we are working in a school with young people or whether we are doing, you know, a summer camp or winter camp or something. Um, like, we we always include that. And as much as we talk about the trauma, we also talk about the healing and provide those opportunities for them to let go or, you know, learn tools how to how to manage that or you know what we might call to, to self-regulate themselves to to feel okay.
0: Interesting, interesting. And um, do you have any examples of of students that you've worked with that uh, came into the into, into a school or came into some type of setting and they had some of these issues and how those issues manifested themselves and how you were able to to address those using these types of trauma sensitive modalities what we're talking about today?
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. The first one that comes to mind is we were in a school one time, and we were we were doing a a gathering for all of the students. Actually, that it's called gathering of Native Americans, Agona, and we were doing it in a school, and it was with like uh, middle middle school and high school students, and so we were just kind of not not quite getting started yet, like we were serving breakfast and people were kind of visiting and mingling and then we were getting ready to start. So, all the chairs were, you know, in this large circle in a gym and there was a student that came in um, earlier and he was kind of like looking over at these tables where we had all these craft supplies and he took this huge piece of felt, it was like as big as a blanket, and he took that huge piece of felt and he went and sat in the corner and put that piece of felt over him. And um, I knew right away what was happening. Right, he was he was doing self regulation. He was trying to make himself feel okay because there was probably too many people in the room. It was probably too loud. The fluorescent lights were probably you know bothering him, and he was trying to make himself feel okay. So we were getting ready to start, and one of the teachers went over there and um, like jerked that piece of felt off of him, and was you know, like demanding that he come and sit in the circle. So I ran over there really quickly and I said, no, he's fine, you know, and I put that piece of felt back over him. And then I asked the teacher, you know, to follow me and we went away so he couldn't hear us. And I just told her, I said, you know, he's he's trying to self-regulate. And what I learned later was that um, the, the, not the parents, but the family members that brought him to this event said, yes, he is on the fetal alcohol spectrum, and it was too many people in the room. It was too loud. The lights were too bright, and he was trying to like be okay, but so I, th- I always think that's a great example of when we don't understand how trauma impacts us, then we may do things that are actually re-traumatizing the student by ripping that off and forcing him to go sit in the circle as an example.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and to hear the response of the teacher, so what was that conversation like with that teacher when you approached that person and, and explained what the issue was, and then going forward, were they did they embrace this type of education? Because I imagine they've got to have the buy-in too, and they need the training to to understand how this all works.
6: Yeah, definitely. So this was a non-Native teacher that was, you know, working in a predominantly, well, it was a Native school, Right. And so they were actually very gracious and very grateful just for, for, you know, me pointing this out to them. But we've had other instances where the teachers have not been as gracious and, um, you know, which, which actually brings up a whole nother topic. You know, we're, we're talking about young people that are coming in with trauma, but there's also, they also meet, oftentimes meet trauma when they come into school systems. And that is called racism or or white supremacy and that that's a whole different kind of um trauma i think that we often don't acknowledge or recognize nor do we often give our students the tools and the strategies to navigate that type of trauma
0: right right jolene when did this type of uh, education approach trauma sensitive trauma informed when did this really come about because i know you have a daughter and was this part of her education growing up
6: well it it was it was a part of her education, but not from a a school standpoint right mm-hmm. um, right like the the native wellness institute we've been ex- in existence for coming up on twenty four years, but you know many of our mentors and many of us have been doing this kind of work for a long long time, and we can think about going back to the nineteen eighties where um like Maria Brave Horse, um, Braveheart Yellow Horse had, came up with the term historical trauma. Like, I think a lot of us as tribal people, we we could explain it, but we never had like the language to articulate like what we were talking about, right? So through the 80s and 90s, um, and then we come into the 2000s, where um, it, in the mid 2000s, Kaiser Permanente actually, coined the term Adverse Childhood Experiences, or the ACEs, and actually had a a score sheet that people could take, right, to find their ACEs number. So, so all of this has been happening in Indian country, um, but because of trauma, actually, it has paused or even stopped a lot of, like, trauma-informed or healing-informed approaches to be integrated into communities, because trauma oftentimes um, causes us to grow up with these unspoken rules of, like, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. And, and so a lot of our people don't want to talk about trauma, um, but it's changing. Like, there's tons of change, positive change around that where, where schools and communities, you know, also where education takes place is starting to embrace these because, because when we connect the dots, we can clearly see, like, oh, my gosh, trauma is causing this behavior, and healing mm-hmm. is the answer to that.
0: Jolene, you you mentioned white supremacy as a form of trauma to, to not only kids, but also Native adults. And I'm just curious, how do you address that through these teachings, these trauma-informed uh, solutions? Because it just seems like it would be such a heavy topic and such a, a tricky topic to navigate, especially with a young person.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: So we actually address it with both young people and we address it with um, the adult teachers. And so uh, for example, through the pandemic through on Zoom, we worked with this one um, school district where they had three public schools on the reservation um, and we worked with both the students and we worked with the staff. And so again, the students were like, love the opportunity to talk about these things because they're living it, right? And to just openly talk about it where they are not going to be um, judged or shamed or guilted or anything like that. All those things are also trauma, right? Um, and so, and and then we focus on this, on this, the skills, the tools that they can use to um, address that, right? Because that is often the, the missing link as well. We get. We get angry and we just shut down because we don't even know what to say. Right. So just giving them some tools about how to move through that. And then with the adults, you know, addressing that. So we can, we can look at. Um, non native teachers, as an example, and the biases or the stereotypes that they bring um, and they, and, and how they view our native students. Right they are less than, they are not as smart, we have to dumb things down, like all these things that we hear from teachers, you know, after they learn about, oh, my gosh, yes, I was bringing these, you know, into the classroom, and then, and then helping them find ways to, you know, address their white supremacy, you know, is, is, is beneficial all the way around. So, really, we address it by just talking about it in really respectful ways and not like yelling and bringing our anger to the table, but just like really talking about it by in a good way by creating that safe space to do so.
0: thanks jelene and I want to go back to Tasha because uh it also appears to me that getting the parents on board is going to be vital. They have to have that buy-in as well as the understanding. And Taisha, how do you folks go about doing that, getting parents involved and uh, making them sure they understand how this whole type of therapy and trauma-informed education works?
5: Absolutely. Well, and I'm, first, I think an important thing to acknowledge is that certain that that. Um, Whatever has happened in a student's life, these these strategies are not meant to point fingers or place blame on anyone. These are, as was mentioned already, these are strategies to address. So I think really making sure um, that this isn't an accusatory type thing. This is coming from a you know from a solution oriented place, and bringing parents in to understand that this is meant to help their um, to help their child um, develop. Skills and strategies. Um, certainly, when um, when you know when when possible, it's wonderful to have a parent support and to bring them or elders or grandparents or guardians of whatever type. Maybe perhaps you know they can be part of the classroom and some of the learning as well. Um, but I think really, really acknowledging that um, you know everyone's doing the best they can with what they have, and the trauma is separate from the person, the person is not their trauma. It is something that they've experienced. And so this is something that is meant to serve the student and, you know, not meant to condemn or accuse of any kind of intentional harm.
0: Thanks, Tasha. And Jalene, back to you outside of the classroom. Are there approaches that parents and grandparents can do at home independently of schools to um, to introduce some of these strategies, these teachings?
6: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one of the things that we like to focus on is, um, you know, changing our norms, like what is normal for families, our communities. And we have lots of examples of how healing is, you know, becoming more of a norm than, than it used to be. So, for example, even hearing that word healing is a change in our community norms, because it used to never, like, be talked about the way it is now. So even like helping you know families, parents or grandparents and other people, just even using that type of language, right? And then intentionally looking at ways that um, we can do that as a family and especially as a community. Sometimes it's safer to do it as a community, and then we learn these techniques that we can bring into the home. And I'm kind of being vague because of, in terms of healing, because healing looks different for everyone, right? We know that. Healing is letting go of things that we might hold on to that don't serve us in a good way, and we all do that in different ways. So what works for you may not work for me, or what what works for me may not work for a 6th grader or a 12th grader. So it's constantly and consistently trying to, trying new things to help ourselves to let go of things that we're holding on to and just so that we can live, you know, better and balanced.
0: Jelena, we've talked about students, we've talked about teachers, we've talked about therapists, along with parents. Any other stakeholders with trauma-sensitive education that we need to talk about today?
6: Well, when we talk about education systems, we have to talk about the leadership, right? So whether that's coming from board members, superintendents to principals, and other folks, like they have to be on board as well because they're the ones that either are going to be you know funding or leading these efforts so that's kind of like another pocket um, of folks that that need to be on board as well
0: understood we're going to take another short break and our phone lines are open and really would like to hear some feedback from some listeners today what are your thoughts about this approach trauma sensitive trauma informed education Working with students, meeting them at uh, where they're at in in terms of emotional or any type of other issues that they could be suffering from. Could be something in the current life that they have, something going on at home, or it could be something more historical or generational as well. Really fascinating conversation, really fascinating approach to education. And uh, we've got some good guests on our show today who are just really bringing it home and explaining the intricacies of how this approach works. Short break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from our third guest today, Star Weatherall, who is the education coordinator for the Grand Ronde Head Start Preschool. So again, encourage anybody listening, give us a call. Let us know what your thoughts are, your insights. If this would have helped you as a young person in school, let us know. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back.
4: Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing, who support this program. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Stros, Dean & Walker, LLP, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for over 40 years. More information available at hobbstross.com.
0: You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We are focusing on trauma-informed education today. How do you think your education experience would have been different if school educators understood generational trauma? Do you think you would have done better in school? Do you think you would have enjoyed school more? Let us know, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our third guest, Star Weatherall, is the education coordinator for the Grand Run Head Start School Preschool Program. Star, thanks again for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Star, we've talked about high school students, middle middle school students, uh, elementary age. What about preschool children? Can they benefit from trauma-informed education, or do you hold off until they're a little bit older?
3: Oh, most definitely. I think the earlier we start, the better. Um, And what's unique about early childhood is that we don't just work, we have this unique ability not to just work with the students. A lot of times in classrooms, like you guys were talking about before, the teachers have a lot on their plates and they end up having all these extra resources, which we have as well. But we just have a, a more unique opportunity to really be in there in the trenches with the families as well as the students. Um, but I think the earlier we can help students understand their feelings, the things they're going through, um, and how to deal with them in a healthy way, um, the better it's going to be. These children are our future. So,
0: And Star, what's the, what's the approach with young preschool-age students? Um, some of these topics are really heavy. They're really deep. How do you go about engaging with a young person in that way?
3: Um, So I would say for us, a lot of the focus is really helping the families, not just the students. I mean, obviously the students part of the family, but really helping the families work through what their generational traumas and their epigenetics and all those things kind of in the background, but also in the classroom, we're really sitting with those students and helping them through these big because typically kids at this age a lot of times they're it's like what people call like behavioral challenges and so they're expressing they're trying to communicate through behaviors so it's really us just sitting with them working through those together helping them understand what it is that they're working through And just helping them understand that we're here and we understand them and we know and we see them. We see what they're doing. We see what they're feeling. We understand. And we're just here to
0: help them through it. All right, let's go ahead and take a call now. We have Tess who is listening in Hansville, Washington online. Good morning, Tess. Thanks for calling in today.
7: Good morning, sir. And thank you so much for everything you do every day. But this show is so important. Um, I I was calling because I was fortunate to have been raised in K- Kitsap County and Kingston, Washington, and there was an elementary school that in the 70s brought the Skalum tribal leaders to my school in third grade, and they are the sister of Chief Self's Tribe, and there are many First Nation tribes in Kitsap County, and I'm calling in because. I wanted to ask you please to develop some portion of the curricula and training for the bus drivers. The bus driver that helped me was the only one that helped me and I'm so grateful. And she drove every day through uh, First Nation territory and she was respected by all. And she pretty much saved my situation and I was able to overcome obstacles that you're describing.
0: Tess, really appreciate that call, and boy, that's a really good point. And uh, Star, what's your thought on that? Tess mentions the importance of, of, of a bus driver, or I'm thinking maybe lunchroom supervisors or other volunteers or other folks that are there in the schools, they're working with young people. How important is it that they have access to this information and this type of training?
3: Yeah, I definitely think it's important for everyone that's working with these children and families to understand and follow this trauma-informed education. Um, every every person that someone interacts with could be your person. So maybe I'm not the person for one kid, but maybe the lunch lady is that person or the bus driver is that person. And all it takes is one person to reach a child
0: mm-hmm. and help the family. Right. Tasha, I'd like to get your perspective on that as well. What about some of these supplementary uh, support staff that are in schools, like the bus drivers, like the volunteers? Are they on your radar in terms of implementing uh, trauma-sensitive teachings?
7: Sure. Um,
5: certainly, NIEA would be supportive of of you know providing training or referring to uh, referring to other folks who do provide training um related to this this topic to anybody in a school system uh, nia has some has been doing some work around um tribal communities and schools and it really is what we're talking about this wraparound approach where what a student needs you know everyone in the school system is trying to make sure that that student um got what they need and that does include that support staff often especially within you know title six or indian education it's not necessarily that the people who work on those types of programs are not necessarily classroom teachers. They're providing other types of programming and support. So it certainly is something that, that needs to be considered outside of just the, um, you know, the teacher in the classroom, but also the other folks who are interacting with students.
0: Right. I, I'm thinking of even athletic coaches as well uh, could play a role in, in this whole process. And, and Star, back to you, when did your preschool first start utilizing trauma-informed methods?
3: Yeah. Um, that's kind of an interesting question. My belief is that as a tribal people, we've always had it in some form. It just kind of like Jolene said, we just didn't know the words to call it. We didn't know how to explain it. Um, I think it's become really big since the pandemic, just because there's so much like it, it kind of just hit ahead. Um, a peak, if you will. But I think we've always kind of had these um, healing ideas and thoughts and ways of approaching our own children. I just think now we have the words to explain it.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the pandemic, and obviously a lot of Native communities, a lot of Native households were hit really hard by the pandemic. And are, are you seeing more uh, pandemic or virus COVID-related trauma that's being addressed through some of these teachings that you're working on?
3: Um, yeah, I think a lot of um, people being isolated, you know, Native communities are very um, collective versus individualistic. And when we weren't able to get together, it really affected our people a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm also thinking, Star, about as kids transition, they go from preschool to elementary school and they go from elementary school to middle school on to high school. And what happens if a student goes from a, a school where there's trauma informed teaching going on and then they go to a new school where it's not part of the school? And, and how do they make that adjustment?
3: Um, that's that's a tough one. Um. I've seen a lot of struggles in that, um, it's it's honestly really frustrating um, because they're, the families are used to the trauma-informed education and the trauma-informed p- approach to education and then they go to a school where they don't have any of that and the parents are frustrated, the tribes are frustrated because they're fighting for it and not getting anywhere and the schools are frustrated because they don't know how to handle things, um, and it kind of, honestly, that's it's not helpful. <laughs> it's just not helpful.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Well, Doline, I want your thoughts as well. Uh, what can be done to ensure that there's continuity here with regard to trauma informed education throughout a, a young person's educational journey?
3: Um, I think the connection between families schools and communities could be strengthened Um, i think especially that piece between schools and communities and schools and families Um, i think the community and families are are pretty intertwined especially in tribal communities but the there's something missing there's a step missing between the schools and the communities and the schools and the families i think the the biggest key is just being open to um just these ideas I guess it's it's hard to when you're when you've been doing something for so long in a certain way it's hard to open up to a new way of teaching a new way of thinking there's all these requirements that elementary schools have to follow and so they kind of get stuck in that um tunnel vision um but i think they just need to open back up again get out of the tunnel
0: <laughs> mhm angeline with regard to to some of the historical trauma because it seems like the approach must be different if, and i'm just i mean maybe i'm wrong but it just seems to me that the approach Dealing with some sort of a historical trauma issue as opposed to something that's currently going on in a young person's life, maybe an issue at home or something in the community, uh, is it a different approach or is it does it basically work the same way with these different programs?
6: Yeah, great question. Um, well, the approach that we take is we try to teach about the historical trauma and then we help the young person connect the dots between when trauma goes unhealed, it continues to be passed down. So, then that turns into intergenerational trauma. And then when that goes unhealed, then they continue to experience the trauma. So we help them to, like, understand that and um, that it's because of colonization, right, that all these things changed in our communities and because that helps to help them better understand themselves, better understand their parents, better understand their grandparents, and and really look at the origin of all of this. And then we encourage them to, you know, sometimes we call it be a cycle breaker and cycle breakers are actually also cycle starters, you know, so that the trauma can end with them right like that's the whole that's the whole purpose of healing and so then you know giving them those opportunities to practice because it's not someone isn't going to learn about healing and say oh i've i've been healed now i can go on right we have to continually Mm -hmm. provide those opportunities for healing and get them to practice um practice those things so it can become more a part of their norm
0: Jelena, it's been mentioned already on our show today that the the boarding school era is a source of trauma in many Native communities. It impacts even these young people today. And I'm just curious, what's it like... um, when you're working with a young person, maybe an elementary student or a middle school student that that, that doesn't really understand, didn't know about the boarding school era, maybe you know, their parents didn't go to board, their grandparents aren't of that age, and they hear about it for the first time and they understand what happened 100 years ago, 110, 120 years ago. What's their reaction when they learn these stories for the very first time?
6: Yeah, we worked with a lot of young people from varying backgrounds, um, some that are very aware and some that are learning for it for the first time. And oftentimes, you know, their eyes are big, their wheels are turning, you know, inside of their head. Sometimes there's sadness, right? Sometimes there's anger. Um, and so what we try to do is just like acknowledge any of those feelings that are that are happening, right? And then finding constructive ways to, to to deal with those feelings. And then we tie that to, um, you know, the the historical and intergenerational wisdom, right? So yes, we have historical and intergenerational trauma, but we also have historical and intergenerational wisdom. And that helps like to bring that balance and it helps them also not just to be stuck in the trauma, but to, to look at the good things that were also passed down and then using that to help them find their voice and then to use it in a good way and, um, you know, em, again, embrace those opportunities for healing.
0: And Star, back to you, uh, what else do we need to understand? What else would you like to share with our listeners about what you folks are doing there at the Grand Ron Preschool or any other issues with regard to, to trauma-informed education?
3: Um, I was just thinking the, the other piece is kids can't learn if they're stuck in trauma, if there's things going on at home. Um, So we're trying to get them to learn all these like, you know, cognitive things. And they, they really literally in their brain cannot focus on those things when they're stuck in that trauma. So if you're trying to get them to learn, you have to deal with that hurt or whatever feeling that they're having before you can get them to learn anything. Um, So I think that's kind of, and then just having positive intent, understanding that these kids aren't having these behaviors because they're trying to be bad or trying to upset you or hurt you, they're hurt and they're trying to process it. And our job is to understand what it is they're trying to communicate with us and help them get through that and build those skills so that, like Jalene said, once they learn how to heal themselves, then, you know, they can, it trickles down, it's a trickle down
0: effect. Star, I want to thank you for joining our conversation today about trauma informed education for native students. Also Jalene Joseph and Teja Zentech, uh, big thank you for taking the time and uh, explaining for our listeners uh, how this approach works. Amongst our students in our communities. We'll be back again tomorrow and we invite you to listen in as we hear about a new PBS documentary that shares the history of the buffalo. You've been listening to the one, the only Native America Calling.
6: Nineteen the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
4: Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the ninth Annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show.